Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having a great week wherever you're listening. Many communities around the world are still facing enormous challenges with the current pandemic and we hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. It's been a busy few weeks at PDP with more great content hitting the website. We've been delivering workshops for our partners and we've also got an exciting free webinar event happening next week with Assistant Academy Manager at Birmingham City Football Club, Stuart English. Since our last podcast, we've also released part three and four of our Gold Coast live sessions with PDP coaching advisor James Coots. Cootsy got out on the grass with a great group of under 11 players to film some sessions on playing around and through, and the final two parts of this session are live on the site for members. We've also shared another great Q&A conversation on the importance of 1v1s in player development and featured a new blog article from researcher, coach, and PDP contributor Johnny McMurtry on the importance of connection with athletes. Today's podcast is a portion of our latest masterclass discussion, which I hosted earlier this year with world-leading clinical psychologist, Professor Stephen Rolnick. Stephen's a true innovator in coach communication, and today we share a portion of the conversation with you. As always, the full version is available for members on the PDP website. If you haven't joined our community yet, you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com and access a free 30-day trial to explore the platform and enjoy the content. We've got some awesome new ideas in the mix, including additional practical and tactical content, as well as some other ideas we aim to roll out in 2021 for members. Head to playerdevelopmentproject.com, select a monthly or annual membership, and dive into our huge range of resources, from learning modules and live sessions to Q&A videos, magazine articles, and masterclass discussions, plus much more. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Masterclass discussion. Absolutely delighted to be joined this evening by Professor Stephen Rolnick. How are you, Stephen? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's early morning for me, so I've just had breakfast and I'm fresh and ready for the day, man. Yeah, it's exciting to have you back. I know you've um, sat down and had a couple of chats with Jimmy Bourne, our lead researcher in the past, and obviously you've been kind enough to share a number of articles on the website over the years, and it's really, really good to check in with you, and uh, we're going to cover a few different topics tonight. So thank you for your time. Pleasure, man. Pleasure. Well, look... For those who perhaps haven't uh, come across your work, whether that's uh, through your, your writing or some of the work you've done through your own channels or even on the PDP website, can you share a quick insight as, as to your background and I guess how you've recently transitioned into the sporting space a little bit? Yeah, it's been quite a journey in a way. It's like it's been a completion of a circle in the sense that uh, I've always been a sports nut and I was a surfer, a cricket lover, Arsenal supporter from the age of 11, Cape Town. So that's where I grew up loving those things. Mm. And then like um, 30 plus years as a psychologist in mental health and hospital and general healthcare, um, all focused on one question, looking back. I can't say it was like that going through it, but looking back with the wisdom of hindsight, uh, what makes for an effective conversation about change that really promotes growth and ownership. That, that's what I think has defined the 30 years. And we developed something called motivational interviewing, which is really a way of structuring that kind of conversation. And then I retired and um, decided the stuff could be relevant for school teachers. And I wrote a book on that subject. And then I hit a point where I decided, actually, I want to have fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
into sport, okay? So although I still work in healthcare a bit, particularly in, in difficult environments in South Africa, um, sport is where I am and where I'm going to stay. And uh, I'm 67, but if I, if I could put it this way, when I grow up, I want to be a sports coach, right? And, and my kids just laugh at me. But, yeah. you know, sports coaching and why they behave the way they do and how they can improve their skills is, is my current passion, if you like. It's, it's an amazing transition. And I think um, it's so nice to see people from different, well, I guess, you know, specialists from these sort of disciplines coming into the sporting space. And I think, you know, I, I will ask you, you know, from that outside coming in lens, that, that external perspective, um, have there been things that have really stood out to you that have been challenging or observations you've made that you've just sort of been astounded by as to why they're happening in sport? Yeah, and I've seen both sides. I've seen yeah. shadow sides and I've seen wonderful things happening. And, and uniting them is something is the reason I went into it, which is the joy of play. Mm. Um, I've got four kids. I've even got one who's eight. Um, but if we just separate it out and think about the shadow side and, and the positive side, um, you know, they call it coach communication or soft skills. Like it sits in a box to one side <laughs> of the real thing, you know. And I kind of, or they call it the fluffy stuff, someone, a cricket coach called it the other day. Okay. And I got to laugh, man, because imagine if you were unable to speak, you know. It might be quite fun to do that, actually, to put tapes over our mouths and see what goes on. But really, you know, speaking is the principal channel through which we convey mm -hmm. what we do. You might say, yeah, well, doesn't matter, because as long as I get my message across, you know, I can use hand signals and stuff. But for this, like, this is my starting point, Dave, which is what you say and the way you say it impacts outcome. Mm. Okay. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole now. Give us some examples from healthcare or yep. mental health or whatever. Trust me, the way you speak to people is as important as what you say. And there's very hard evidence. If we talk about the word soft skill, there's evidence that this impacts very hard healthcare outcomes. So this was my starting point. And I, and I go into sport. Um, and when I thought about this question before we spoke, I thought, okay, write down a list of the sort of shadow side or your concerns about what you've seen in, in sport. And then I noticed something, mm -hmm. which is the list is almost identical to the concerns I have about healthcare, criminal justice, education. So I'll, I think I'll be able to articulate them for you, but I found that very striking. It's like almost yeah, like sure. a universe. You know what I mean? But shall I get a bit specific? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to hear a couple of examples of your observations. You know, you see really good people in chaotic and often toxic exchanges with very uncertain outcomes. So that's like what the initial impression was. A lot of dog barking, mm -hmm. mild and severe dog barking at players. Um, different sport, I've been in quite a few different sports and I've seen variations on the theme of dog barking. Um, arrogance. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it. You fit in or bust. Um, 
I've seen near universal struggles and even dislike of player reviews at the elite level. I've seldom come across any coach who said, oh yeah, I've got player reviews this afternoon. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I noticed that. And then I, I noticed something which I suppose is a bit deep and philosophical, which is like a cleverness delusion, which is like the more you know about something, the better a coach you'll be. Um, and ideally, if you were an ex-player, that will make you, well, then you'll know it and, and that'll make you a better coach. And that cleverness delusion I've seen elsewhere and it doesn't always hold. Okay. It doesn't always hold that you have to have the experience. Mm. Be good at teaching it. And then something I, I know all, all of you coaches will know about, which is this obsession with targets, results, and outcomes. Yeah. Okay. You see a lot of sunglasses on people. <laughs> um, and, and across their foreheads, I am very busy. So there's this, and I find that very intimidating. Um, because the sunglasses like hide them from almost like being who they are or letting you know who they are. And I am very busy becomes, it feels dysfunctional to me. And I find it very difficult to, like I, I work as a mentor in an elite cricket club with the coaches mm -hmm. and the captains. And I find this very difficult when guys come, I'm too busy with sunglasses on. I noticed a praise is used like confetti yep. as a sort of an external reinforcer of good behavior. Well done guy. That's good. Now you carry on doing it again. So the, the, the strategy for motivating people that stands out very strongly and it in sharp contrast to what something like motivational interviewing would suggest is being useful in addition to that. Sure. Or even instead of it. And I, on my list here, and I'll, I'll stop soon and give you some breathing space. <laughs> I've noticed that very poor group facilitation skills, very okay. poor sort of low levels of skillfulness in how you speak to a group of players to get the best out of them. Yeah. And, and in its worst form, it's just basically dog barking, which takes the form of, um, both motivating them and giving them information in one kind of verbal vomit, if you like. And uh, that seems dysfunctional to me and, and could be improved. So, yeah. you know, there's a list of shadow things and I, 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 I don't want to, I've seen wonderful things as well, which I could clarify, but yeah, you know, yeah, well, look, I think, I think we'll get to some of those. And I think there's two parts to my response. There's some brilliant, and I've made a few notes here in terms of some of those observations. Firstly, arrogance for me is something that I, I have seen more and more throughout my time coaching. And I've written on this uh, because it's something I feel really passionate about, that if you're going to be an effective coach, you need to remove your ego from the equation. Uh, now, there's, there's lots of different books and, and, and um, different content out there on ego and how that works. And that's a complex topic in itself. But I do find it staggering at times where uh, the tracksuit or the badge might give you that sort of feeling that suddenly there's this self-importance, which perhaps doesn't happen before you work, walk onto the training ground. And I think the best coaches I've interviewed over the years through PDP um, 
have been those that put the player's interests first and understand that everything we have to do or to be an effective coach is to put those interests first. So that's an interesting one. We'll touch on praise and a couple of those others as well. But before we go further, I thought it'd be really good just to perhaps, and I know this won't be an easy thing to define briefly, but what is motivational interviewing for those who haven't heard of it before? Um, it's a style of it's a style of conversation about change. It's a style very similar to that of a good guide, right? Which which football coaches? That's the essence of it for me. Um, for talking to somebody about growth and change and improvement, or for addressing problems. Okay. okay. So it has a set of associated skills with the style for making that more effective, satisfying, and with better outcomes. Okay. And, and is, there a, is there a sort of collaborative approach to this? I mean, are you, you know, we, we talk in, in traditional coach education, you might hear things like trial and error or guided discovery or Q&A or these kind of coaching communication methods which get taught on formal courses. Is this something where there's a lot more of a collaborative feel? Are you, are you leading the person you're having that conversation with in a direction or are you just trying to collaborate almost 50-50? 50-50, I suppose it's, I don't know if you've heard of that phrase, you're a guide on the side rather than a sage on the stage. Yeah. Okay. Or instead of telling people and persuading them about why or how they should change, motivational interviewing reverses that Right. And it's a conversation in which you connect first and foremost, and then use these core skills to encourage the player rather than you to say why and how they would, they should, they might change, could or should change. And the logic is this, that the more they hear themselves say why and how, as opposed to you saying how and why, the better will be the outcome. Right. And the, the, perhaps one other piece I'll just put in there without plunging us into, into <laughs> too much detail is that we, we discovered this way of speaking with people in situations where, where people were feeling very uncertain or ambivalent about change. And over the last 30, 40 year, years, I've realized that this is part of the human condition. Sure. And indeed, it's widespread in sport. You know, should I change this position to that position? Should I do this? Should I do that? And the more you try and persuade someone who's feeling like that to change, the more they kind of react against it. So if, if someone's feeling uncertain about the worst thing to do is to try and persuade them out of their uncertainty. Mm. And what we discovered was the best thing to do was to connect listen to what the uncertainty is about for them and help get out of the way, actually get out of the way while you are a privileged witness to them saying why and how they might do it. And this is very similar to the work of say uh, an outdoor mountain guide who meets someone and says, okay, so where, where would you like to go? It's sure. far better to understand where someone wants to go and where they feel their limitations are than to tell them, each step of the way what to do yeah yeah re really insightful and i'm sort of there's words flashing around in my head like empathy and understanding and patience and these kind of things which are required but also autonomy i mean it seems to me like the the key to this particular skill is to 
be supportive and then empower or create some ownership around this particular change. So whether that's a player working towards improvement or somebody in your care who's been working to overcome uh, trauma or a condition or, or whatever their sort of needs were at the time, it seems like there's a lot of empowerment happening here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's something that's held dear by many sports coaches and, and teachers, this idea that uh, you respect someone's autonomy and you emphasize their choices, they will learn more. And, and you and I know that self-determination theory is a model that, that's quite widely used. The people who developed it would probably say that motivational interviewing is very close to a sort of right. practical application of that model. And I, I noticed in going into sport and in, and in reading about it, that coaches often polarize things into I either tell people what to do or I let them get on with it themselves. Yeah. It's kind of dichotomy is quite widespread. There's a lot in between there, isn't there? What we're saying is that in between is the heart of quality coaching, which is a person who is a guide who sits alongside someone who doesn't just let them get on with it, who doesn't impose their ideas all the time. This guide will offer suggestions, will give the person space if they need to be heard and listened to, but will be centrally standing two feet in a guiding style, looking forward at the question of what's going to help you improve. Mm. And if, if what I've just said makes sense to you as a football coach, well, I would say motivational interviewing is 80% what I've just described. Right. Okay, so it's very familiar to, 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 to people. It's the 20% on top of it that defines it as motivational interviewing, which really is about using some of these core skills to best effect. Mm. Look, I think that it really resonates with me personally. I know um, I had a lot of conversations uh, in the last club I was working at um, where often if I was working with, let's say, younger coaches or interns, you might say, well, let's just work off the core question of, is this best for the players? And if the answer is no, or the, or the player individually in terms of what they're trying to achieve, if the answer is no, then we've got to question why we're doing it, right? So I think that's something that in terms of that supporting people to get better, for me, was a, was a practical question that I like to tie things back to. Um, just yeah. going back to a couple of those uh, concerning things that you've seen as well. This, yeah. I want to touch on the idea of busyness. Like we know that coaches, they work hard, they graft. You know, there's a lot of people that work very hard for not a lot of reward as well in the industry. But this concept of um, busyness, is, is this a case of the tracksuit goes on, suddenly there's a, a bit of bravado, I don't have time, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm under pressure, I've got to deliver my session, or is this something that comes, comes across this busyness as sort of more of a swagger? Like, is, is it something, that, is it both, or is this something, how would you sort no, of dive I, into that a little further? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I didn't mean to criticise committed, passionate <laughs> yeah the coaches at all and I, I, I've seen them and admire them hugely um, but it can slide into what you were describing as um, ego driven and I often wonder whether there isn't fear on someone's shoulder yeah yeah when they when they give that vibe and I've, I've noticed it in some settings where you know people don't have secured job stability 
Yeah. Some some boss can walk in. It's quite unusual, actually. You don't get, <laughs> you don't get it in healthcare and, and other other settings as much as you do in sport. People can walk in and say, "Okay, right, you sacked, you sacked, you go." Right, I bring my team in. So there is a lot of fear on people's shoulders. I, I, I worry about, and that might be quite an understandable reason why. Should I better appear busy all the time? Like I, you know what I mean. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit complex, and I didn't mean to, 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 to oversimplify it, but it seems a pity because actually um, if people took the sunglasses off and really connected with others, they might find they didn't have to be so busy because many of the answers sit in the players, hmm. not in I've got to do this, do this, do this because I've got to get this right because otherwise they won't perform. Yeah. You know, I've seen that in healthcare, okay, where you can you can readily burn out if you think you've got to solve every problem in front of you. Yeah. And the, the shift to from a director to a guide involves letting quite a lot of those things go. It, you know, I don't have to be clever in order to succeed. Yeah. I don't have to clutter my mind with 101 tech and tack things. Um, to succeed, I, I can trust that these people have it in them to find their way with support from me. That, that, that has and is liberating for practitioners and myself in healthcare and other fields. And I've seen coaches who appear to say nothing, and I'm not elevating si the silent coach into the kind of godlike mystical character. But actually what they're doing is they're observing and they're wondering with humility about what's going to help fire people up and strategically what might be a better shift. And then they're choosing their moments when to intervene. And they don't have, I'm too busy to talk on their forehead. Yeah. How's that? Is that? I think that's a really good explanation. And I, and I can I can say that I've seen and been involved with fear-driven environments where I've I've had concerns over the motivational climate and I've been in environments, you know, I can recall working in environments where there's a lot of trust and autonomy and suddenly the creativity of the coaches goes through the roof. You know, we often talk about uh, creating a safe place for our players where they can express themselves, where they can feel fr uh, free to go and fail and try things. I think clubs and sporting organizations have a, have a duty to coaches to build them up and empower them and to provide them that opportunity to try things just like the players. Um, you know, I, I was, I, I can share a recent example. I was lucky to spend the day at Auckland cricket, uh, not too long ago and, uh, their coach, Henrik Milan, who's uh, a really lovely guy, you know, he's there running a session the day before a match and made an enormous amount of time for me as a guest to go in and observe. And the thing that I noticed was that he was a able to still effectively work with the players one-to-one -to, -one to get the outcomes for the individuals he was working with on the day. But two was also exceptionally welcoming and open and wanted to have conversations. And it was a, it was a really nice insight to an environment where the players seemed um, very comfortable and content. There was a level of, uh, a level of work going in, obviously, in that professional environment. Um, but there was, it was real detail in what was, what was being uh, worked on, I guess, within the group. So it was a very safe place. And you sense that that was a coach that had confidence to, to do what he needs to do. And I think that is so critical for sports clubs to empower coaches like that. You know, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't mean to mystify this, but 
<laughs> like in, in, in the end, it comes down to us and inside us as sure. people. I mean, in a way, that's probably where we got to start. And what you're describing, I think it's David Malan. I think it's a character I know about. You know, um, how can I put it? If I'm reflective about myself, about not just what I've, what I've got to learn about my sport, but how I am with other people. Sure. Um, if I start there, I'm going to be a better coach. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.